You're listening to a podcast from River City Church of Jacksonville, Florida. For more audio and video podcasts, visit rccjacks.com. Luke, chapter 18, starting in verse 1. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while, he refused. But afterward, he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so she will not beat me down or wear me out by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect or his chosen ones who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? This parable paints this picture of a widow totally dependent on the generosity of others, totally dependent on other people. They would have understood this in this culture, that a, that a widow was totally without means of her own. And he paints this picture of this, this widow who's dependent, needs help, and this judge who's not particularly warm and fuzzy that she's dependent on, and she keeps going to him. Does it sound familiar? Does it sound like some of us can identify with that dependence, whether we admit it or not, this total dependence on God. And he paints this this picture of an unrighteous judge. And at the end of it, he goes, man, if that unrighteous judge relents, how much more, how much more would your your heavenly father, what would a righteous judge, what would one, like the, the heavenly father that we worship, what would that look like? So this is this parable that speaks exactly to what we've been talking about these last several weeks, talking about prayer. And today we're going to talk about persisting in prayer. And it's one of, I think, Jesus' most clear teachings that we should persist in prayer. In fact, in fact, I love that we get like the cheater's note. Even before the parable, Luke tells us, right? What does he say? He told them a parable to the effect that they ought always pray and not lose heart. So we know why Jesus told the parable. We don't have to wonder, well, I wonder what this means, and I wonder how I should apply this to my life, and we don't have to debate it. We don't have to get into all that because we know we ought always pray and not lose heart. We know that. And so this morning, I want, to, I, want to, I want to go a little further than Luke. I want to see what else we can pull from that parable, but we know at least those two things. We know at least those two things. So let's pray and ask that the Holy Spirit would reveal more of what God has for us in this. Lord, we pray that you would um, send your spirit to lead us, that he would teach us to pray, that he would be the one to remind us of the things that you have done and the things that you want to do that you would help restore faith and hope, that you would establish for us a rock that we can always go to or that we would know 
the things that you have done and the things that you're doing and you're calling us into. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So how does Jesus, through this parable, encourage us to persist in prayer? Well, the first thing we know is that we ought always pray. We ought always pray. This parable is, is, is showing us that we should always pray. You never have to ask the question, should I pray about that? No, you don't have to. We ought always pray. Make sense? We don't have to ask that question. We don't have to debate that, that question of whether or not it's worth us praying about. And we don't have to overcomplicate things. I love to overcomplicate things. This, this was a very hard sermon for me to put together because I love, I, was, I spent all this time looking at the effectiveness of our prayer, right? C.S. Lewis has this incredible treatise called the, the, the Efficacy of Our Prayer, right? Even the word, you have to look it up. But it's this idea of how effective are our prayers. It doesn't matter. We ought always pray. Does that make sense? Jesus tells a parable to give us the point that we should always pray. Well, does God change his mind? Am I affecting God? Is God affecting me? Christians have killed each other over this. Not joking. Christians have killed each other over, well, well is God going to do what God's going to do anyways? Does my, do my prayers even matter? Or is somehow God's work reliant on my effectiveness in my prayer? How often I pray and what I pray about. Christians have killed each other over this, and I don't know, but I do know that we ought always pray. It's clear, not only in the parable, but Luke tells us this is the point. Jesus, through this parable, is telling us that we should always, always pray and not lose heart. There's this connection with our heart that we ought always pray, and there's some things that are on our heart that we don't feel like we can pray about. We feel like, well, maybe that God doesn't really care about redfish, and so I'm not going to pray for that. But we saw God cares about redfish. We ought always pray. There's this connection with our heart and what we communicate with him and how we pray. And I was thinking about this, this image that, that, Jesus, that Jesus drives home through all of his teachings of our Father, of God as a perfect heavenly Father, our God not as some just judge, which he is, but as a loving heavenly father. And, and part of that image is that he cares about our hearts and he cares about what's affecting us. And so we should always pray with my kids. If there's something affecting them, I don't care. I don't care if it's, I want to know. I want them to be able to come to me and to be able to say that and to share it with me. What good father. And I'm evil compared to him. That's what Jesus says in one of his other parables. Compared to him, I'm nothing. The way I love my kids is nothing the way that he loves us. And I want my kids to pour their hearts out on me. We ought always pray. We should always go to him, not giving up. The obvious, the most obvious thing that we take away from the parable is this persistent widow. One of the commentaries I was reading called her the nagging widow, okay? Persistent, I guess, is just a nicer way to say it, Right? This, this idea of persistence. Jesus, this is, this is one of his most clear teachings in this parable, but it's not, even, it's not even a one and done parable. There's another parable that he tells. It's almost the exact same thing. He's trying to drive home this point of always pray. Don't give up. Look at the persistent widow. Look how she went back and back and back. Some people say things like, 
Well, I just don't believe in asking God twice about something. And they think that that's a statement of faith. Why would he tell us this parable? Why would Jesus, who prayed more than once in the garden, remember? Probably his most heartfelt prayers, right? When he's like sweating blood and he's praying and he's doing it over and over again. Do you think that he lacked faith? Name it, claim it, and it's done. No. Not according to this parable. We can't take that away. He tells a story about a widow who comes back and back and back. Jesus, you know one time he prayed for somebody to be healed and he did it multiple times? Jesus. We think, you know, if anybody's one and done, it would be Jesus. He does it more than once. Jesus, our model. We are encouraged to nag. We are encouraged to be persistent. And this is weird. I was thinking about, you know, for parents out there, think about your kids. Do you want them to nag? Man, I don't know. I was thinking, like, if I'm honest. But think about, this is what happens, is your kid asks for something, right? Whatever it is. I want a lollipop for breakfast, you know? Like, they just ask for something, and you go, no, of course not. You're not going to have that. But please, no, please, no, please, no, please, no, please. Like, and it just, and it just, and what happens, what happens is every good parent, though we are evil compared to God, what does every parent eventually do? We give in. We give in. Maybe not the lollipop for breakfast, though I was tempted this morning. Not, not maybe that, but we, but we give in. And, our, and what happens is our kids know it. I know, man. I know my, my father. Though he's evil compared to my heavenly father, he... I can beat him down. If I stick with it, there's a chance it might not happen. Who knows? David at one point says this about his heavenly father. He says, who knows? He may be gracious. He may give in. He may give me that lollipop. And so they persist in it. Again, it's this picture from Jesus of a heavenly father who loves and cares for us, persisting in that pursuit of him. George Mueller, who we keep referring to in this series because he is such a model of prayer. He said this, he says, the great fault of the children of God is they do not continue in prayer. They do not go on praying. They do not persevere. Mueller, who for 64 years never asked for a dime, but ran an orphanage and impacted literally hundreds and thousands of children. This is a guy who knows about persisting in prayer. This is a model for us that we ought always pray with great expectation. How does Jesus' parable encourage us to persist in prayer that we ought always pray with great expectation? The widow had an expectation. Otherwise, she wouldn't have been doing it, that she would get justice. Well, how much more for us? What should our expectations be? We should have high expectations because our hope is in a perfect, loving father who can do all things, a father who has literally moved heaven and earth to make a way for us. That's what we're talking about. We have a living hope realized in the gospel, in what God has done for us. That should inspire us. We should have huge expectations for what God can do. River City Church, It's like a value that we raise expectations. 
everything about our service, everything in the way that we worship, in the way that we, in the way that we teach, in the way that we model in our testimonies, what we want to do is raise expectations. One time I was talking to, to Antley, and we were talking about the difference between teaching and preaching, and he was encouraging me. He's like, look, preaching, it's not necessarily just about somebody understanding something. It's about, it's about the heart. And one of the things that we want to do when we preach is raise people's expectations of what God can do during the week. Isn't that what happens when you hear those testimonies? When you hear those testimonies and you think, God could do that. God could do that in my life. God could do that in someone else's life. We want to raise expectations because we believe, we model, and we teach that God is alive. That he's alive. He's active. He's involved. He's not some, some you know, clockmaker who wound it up and then disappeared. No, that he lives inside of us, that his spirit goes with us wherever we go. It's not Sunday. It's all during the week. It's all the time that he is with us. We want to raise expectations. We ought always pray with great expectations. Someone in the church one time was asked not to share their testimony at another church. They were at another church. And they said, man, don't, don't tell people that because it's just going to raise their hopes. It's just going to raise their expectations. That's the opposite. That's the opposite of what we want. We want to raise people's expectations. And it's, here's the thing. It's not River City. It's Jesus. Jesus is the one that raises our expectations. He makes crazy things. He says crazy things. Here are just a few. Just a few. Jesus raises our expectations. I will do whatever you ask in my name. Pretty bold. Ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. I would never say these things to my kid, okay? Just, I'm going to throw that out there. Whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and the one who knocks, it will be opened. And what we do is we theologize these verses away, right? We try to make excuses for God, for, well, what, you know, you have to pray God's will. What? I'm praying my will. We, we theologize and we explain it away, but God doesn't need us to do that. He said it. We should have high expectations. He's given us those expectations. Why would Jesus give us this parable? Unless there would be a temptation to not always pray. Unless there would be a temptation to lose heart. Why would he give us a parable? And why would he even tell us, man, I'm giving them this parable so that they always pray and they don't lose heart. There must be a temptation. There must be a temptation for us to not always pray or for us to lose heart. Jesus raises our expectations. This encouragement only makes sense if we're praying big enough, if our expectations are are so big that we have no choice but to depend on him, like the widow. And again, this is consistent with the heavenly father, the image of the heavenly father. No good father will give his child anything that he asks for. Right? No good father will give his child everything that he asks for. That does, that's not how you make mature children. That's how you make third world dictators. Right? You know who got everything he wanted? Kim Jong-un. Wasn't sure if that joke would go over. <laughs> North Korean dictator. Never mind. So, and he was the son. His father gave him everything. Anyway, so you don't want to make a third world dictator. God doesn't want to do that. <laughs> 
When we pray, it's, it, a heavenly father doesn't give everything. That's, diff, that's difficult for us. But Jesus gives us this encouragement. He says it's not always going to happen the way that they want it to. And so I'm going to give them this parable that they would not give up, that they would continue to press in, that they would always pray. So we should always pray with that great expectation without losing heart. What is this parable? How does this parable encourage us? That we ought always pray with great expectation, but without losing heart. Now, some of us, we've risked like that. Some of us, we have, we have put it all on the line. Some of us have said, I'm going to believe God for this thing, and I'm going to go to him, and I'm going to go to him, and I'm going to go to him. I'm going to be like the widow. I am going to go to him, and I want the breakthrough. And it hasn't come. Some of us have experienced disappointment. Some of us have been very disappointed as we've gone to him with that. I would say that we should, that that should be a natural part of our relationship with him because if it wasn't, then why did, he, why did he give us this parable? Why did he give us this encouragement multiple times? It should be part of our relationship with him is that there will be times that, that we are disappointed, that there will be times that we struggle. There will be seasons when it is difficult for us to pray. I think it's normal. I think it's why Jesus gives us the encouragement. Man, I, I would just finish reading through Psalms and David, I mean, the dude, huge expectations, massive disappointments, and he just writes it all down. I'm, I was struggling. I'm reading it, and I'm like, I don't even know what I can highlight because it's like, I don't know, is it good or is it bad? Like, he says these things, and it, what it is, what, why is it captured? Why is it inspired by God? Because it is true. It resonates with our hearts. And for those of us who have experienced disappointment and pain, when we read the Psalms, what happens is we are encouraged. We're not the only ones. And David puts into words our feelings in a way that, that we can't even do sometimes ourselves. Great expectations that aren't always met. This should be normal part of the Christian life. Either your prayers have been perfectly answered or Maybe your expectations are too low. If you've never experienced that, if you've never experienced that kind of disappointment and that all sounds foreign to you, either your prayers have always been answered or your expectations are too low. I, my two cents, again, this is me interpreting from this parable why Jesus would give us this parable. I would think that your expectations should be so high and that you should not lose heart. He would give us that encouragement because we should be experiencing that. We should be going to him with things with huge expectations. And so if you've never experienced it, where are our hopes? Where are our hopes? Do we have those? Do we believe? This morning, do we believe that he cares? Do we believe that he cares about that thing that you care about? That struggle that you currently have? Do we believe that he's in control? That he's Lord over everything? That there is nothing that's too difficult for him? Do we believe that? Do we believe that he's really good? Really good. Do we believe that? Do we believe that he, is, that he is love? That he is good? Do we believe that? Because if we do, that will raise our expectations and we need this encouragement to not lose heart. Jesus tells us through this parable that we ought always pray with great expectation without losing heart because of the character of God. 
Because of the character of God, Jesus contrasts this heavenly Father. He he contrasts God, our Father, with this unrighteous judge. God is more than just a judge. He's a loving Father. And Jesus continually drives home, the New Testament continually drives home this image of a perfect Father who is good. He is good. Everything that is good comes from Him. That He is just. That He actually defines justice that he is love, that by his nature he is love, that he cares about us, ultimately shown to us on the cross in his willingness to sacrifice, that he cares about us, that he hears us, that there, is no, there are no boundaries now. The cross has set us free, that there is nothing to inhibit him from being able to hear from us. Unlike this poor widow who has no one to speak for her, we have a high priest who's interceding for us, who's able to sympathize with us in our weakness. We are chosen by him. We're not a beggar off the street. We are chosen by him, empowered and led by the Holy Spirit, receiving the spirit of adoption. This is all scripture. We have received the spirit of adoption as sons and daughter. We cry out, Abba, Father. The character of God. We are are his children relying on that character. He wants to know our hearts, right? Prayer is about connecting our hearts. He knows the circumstances. He knows. It's connecting our hearts to him. He wants to know our hearts and he wants us to know his. We ought always pray with great expectation, without losing heart because of the character of God. David, in the Old Testament, He's told after he has an affair and organizes the murder of the guy so that he can get the girl. And God tells him through the prophet. Like David, he feels horrible. He repents. But he hears from the prophet, dude, you're going to have a child, but the child's going to die. So this comes to David, that you're going to have a child and the child's going to die. And you know what he did? He fasted and he prayed for seven days. He fasted and he prayed. Now imagine if God told you no. Imagine if God showed up and said, no, that's not going to happen. What would you do? David, he knew the character of God, right? He knew, even though God told me this, I am going to, I'm going to pursue him. Later on, he would say, who knows? Who knows? Maybe, maybe I'm going to get, he's going to be gracious to me. Maybe he will do that. And unfortunately, the child still died. And you know what David did? He cleaned himself up, and he went straight to the temple, and he worshiped God. David knew the character of God. He knew that God loved his child more than David loved the child. Yes, I'm going to go for it. God, I want this child to live. I want you to relent. I want you to show me grace. I am going to go for it, go for it, go for it. And when it doesn't happen, he says, okay, I trust you. I know you. You have done too much good in my life. I know too much about your character to to turn my back on you. I will go, and I'm going to worship you. That's amazing faith. Some of us, we know this. We know the struggle. We're in the midst of that struggle. And and when when it really comes down to it, we've lost hope, right? 
We've lost hope for these things. We've lost hope that God can do this thing. We've lost hope that circumstances are going to change. Hope deferred. This morning, I kept hearing over and over again, hope deferred makes the heart sick. Those of us who have given up hope, we feel sick. There's part of us that's dead. There's part of us that is not alive when we, when we abandon hope. When we stop believing in the goodness of God, when we, when we stop hoping for things to change, when we, start ho- when we stop hoping for a breakthrough. What are you hoping for this morning? What are you hoping for this morning? We should always be hoping for something. If you're struggling with the answer to that question, then maybe there's, there's a, a, a good part of God that you're missing out on. Maybe this encouragement for you this morning is that there, there is a hope for you. There is a hope. What are you hoping for this morning? We should always be hoping for something. And here's, it, here's the thing. This is for me. Right? I'm letting you in to a little window of Tom Rossi thinking. Okay? I, am a, I am a thinker. My natural my natural um, thing is to not trust. My natural thing is not to hope. My natural thing is to think, right? It's to try and come up with a reason for why God should do something, um, to explain to him logically why he should do this thing. And if, it, if there's no logical reason for it, then, well, forget that. I'm not going to hope for it, right? Like, okay, I'm, I'm not saying this is good. I'm saying I'm an idiot. And so, so you need to, to know this. But, but I have prayed in this body for healings that haven't come. I have prayed and I have prayed and I have prayed and I have not seen healings come. I have seen healings, but there's times when I haven't seen them that it totally makes sense. God, why wouldn't it happen? I don't know. And so now you get a little window into how I approach it because I believe that we should always hope and I believe in the character of God. And so for me, it's the scripture And for some reason, it's the King James is the only way I can. And I'm not a King James guy, not a King James guy. Don't read the King James. I don't know if I own a King James, but this is the best way that I've been able to understand Hebrews 11.1. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not not seen. We talked about this last week, but I want to connect the dots between faith and hope because for, for me, this is how I get through. This is how I establish hope. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. There's all kinds of different commentaries on this verse, and people go totally different directions, and I don't understand it all. This is what I know, is that faith and hope is connected, that there is a connection between what we have our faith in and what we have our hope in, that there is a connection, and somehow they feed each other. The things that we have faith in gives us hope, and the things that we have hope in gives us faith. There is this connection, and for me, when I lack hope, I focus on my faith because it provides substance. It gives me something that feeds that hope. How many of you bought lottery tickets a couple weeks ago? <laughs> uh, yeah, no, there are people like, right? <laughs> right? <laughs> you had no hope of winning. Sorry. Just, just letting you know, right? Because the substance of that hope was just a bad understanding of mathematics. Okay. <laughs> That's the only substance you had for any hope that you had of winning, right? Faith provides the substance of those things that we hope for. Faith provides the underlying nature that allows us to hope in things that are not seen. 
You may have a bad understanding of mathematics. It's not going to give you a lot of hope. But we have the gospel. Our lives have been changed. God has made a way where there wasn't a way. God has shown up and done something that we couldn't have done for ourselves. God, at different points in each of our lives, has done something that made us say, I believe in the gospel. I believe in the good news. I believe that Jesus loves me. I believe that he cares. I believe that he's involved in my life. This is the faith that gives us hope. And so this morning, for those of you who who would say, I've lost hope, I lack hope, I would ask the question, what can you put your faith in? What do you know that you know that you know about God? Our faith is not blind. Our faith is not blind. It is based in the character of God whose kingdom declares freedom. And our hope is not dumb because it springs from that faith. Our hope is anchored to that character of God. When we begin to lose hope, we have a helper, the Holy Spirit, who testifies for our faith. He testifies to what is true. So when we struggle with our hope for healing, our faith, the Holy Spirit testifies to our faith in the character of God, whose heart it is to free everyone that is oppressed. When we grow faint in our prayers for our unbelieving family and our friends, the Holy Spirit testifies to our faith in the character of God whose desire is that no one should perish, not one. When we grow faint that something that is obviously good and obviously just and it's, and it's not happening, the Holy Spirit testifies to our faith in the character of God who has lavished us with love and has called us his children. When our sin and our garbage robs us of hope, the Holy Spirit testifies to our faith in the work of Christ that has made us the righteousness of God. When we lose hope for tomorrow, when we have nothing left, when we lose our hope even for tomorrow, our faith in the promises of God that one day, one day he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. These are declarations of faith. These are declarations of faith. That when we say them, man, if you have me praying for healing, this is me. I'm going to be, I'm going to be declaring what I know, to, what I know to be, to, I know that I know that I know. <laughs> I'm, going to, I'm going to stick to those things that I know because that inspires me. It gives me hope. Faith gives substance to that hope. So this morning, how does Jesus' parable encourage us to persist in prayer? We ought always pray with great expectation, without losing heart, because of the character of God. Let's stand.